Thank you for joining. Just when you thought you were alone in your home office, not having to deal with anyone, here comes the PNYA with another big event. Let's get started. We've got a lot to cover. Um, the event is called Post Break, and it's our new weekly series every Thursday at four. And the purpose is kind of twofold, is to bring, bring all of us together to be able to see each other, but also to keep up our skills up and keep our knowledge up Things have been, um, oh, am I muted? No, no you're okay. okay. With the way so quickly in our industry, um, this is a chance for us to, to keep learning. Um, my name is Chris Peterson. I'm the board secretary of the PNYA. I'd like to thank Mitzi Rothside, Rebecca Hernandez, Dan Fink, and Ryan Penny for helping organize this. The session is called, How is New York Posting Now? And we're going to discuss how everyone has adapted to working remotely. Um, we're gonna look across the industry at a number of different roles and learn their workflows and uh, logistical changes that they've made. Um, our panelists today are Clark Henderson, SVP Theatrical Services at Technicolor Postworks and PNYA board member, Andrew Bly, EP and CFO of The Molecule and PNYA board member, Dan Fink, who does ADR and voice casting, Nick Ramirez, picture editor, Anna Chipola, freelance colorist, um, Greg Swietlowski and Ryan Price, sound editors, and Rebecca Hernandez, post supervisor and PNYA administrator. And thank everyone for waving so everyone knows who you are. Um, this is kind of a new format for us, so if we hit any speed bumps or anything, uh, forgive us. We'll, we'll smooth them out as the weeks go on. But Nick, let, let's dive right in and start with you. Um, what project are you on now and how has its workflow had to change um, in order to, to get done remotely? Thank you and hi everybody. Um, I'm on an independent film called Mayday. Um, and with, while, while there's no, obviously great time for a pandemic to happen for anything um in the context of our workflow and and what where it hit and what we were it's like i i feel like it kind of we were really lucky because we finished shooting this film in december and basically by the start of january was really the, the earnest start of the director's cut so we really started planning and then transitioning remote by about the second week of march so we the director and I, um, we really had about two months solidly under our belts of the director's cut. Um, and uh, Jake Lemon is my assistant editor on it, who I think is somewhere on this call as well. Uh, and we also had our sort of post PA slash director assistant, you know, kind of in the fold with us as well. So we really had about two months of like posts under our belts. And so you know, smaller movie, smaller team, not a huge footprint. And because it was the director's cut, we really were in our bubble as you are when you're in that phase. 
um, aside from checking in with producers or very preliminary VFX discussions, things like that. Like we haven't really hit the phase of like, you know, coordinating with several departments. And also uh, Christina uh, is our post supervisor. So she was on the ground too already. So like we had a, a solid footing, thankfully. And then it all kind of started to happen as everyone knows. And so that as far as um, transitioning, you know, with a smaller team and being in that phase of the director's cut, we only really had to focus mostly on like, for Karen, the director and I, like how do we maintain that uh, creative pace that you're in when you're hopefully in, when you're in the director's cut phase, you're just like in the trench all day with each other. I mean, we're, we're putting in at least 10 hour, if not more longer days for a good chunk of this director's cut. And, um, and how do we keep that going? Um, that was really like the biggest thing was our focus uh, for scheduling purposes and also just for the sake of like the film. And she's, it's also her first feature. So while she has a lot of experience behind her, like sort of a new process going this deep, you know, with, with a single editor for this long. Um, so there was a lot at stake and, uh, you know, if this had happened like at the start of the director's cut, it would have been really unfortunate because we, we were able to get our pace going. So, so yeah, it was really like, how do we keep that going? And she was really not into the idea of, you know, I'm sure as some people are doing, you can, I can cut pretty easily at home with a hard drive and a laptop or what have you and send clips. We have our Frame.io account that we use. Um, but that sort of moment to moment, day to day, connectivity and talking and communicating and just being with each other in the film in the same space, like Frame.io and sending clips and emails doesn't really do that. It's so much more busy work, if you will. So we really were trying to avoid any kind of setup like that. And so when it kind came time to really start figuring it out, we realized we needed to, for real, uh, Jake and I really dove in for about a solid week first testing possibilities, everything from team viewer to zoom to whatever, um, that, you know, were quick and I guess cheap and easier. And then, but very quickly it became, you know, obvious that if we wanted to maintain a real live connection while editing that, uh, Evercast, which I'm sure many have heard of at this point, or maybe are using, was seen to be, as far as I'm aware, still the best option. Um, and it was all new to me. I hadn't heard of it really before I used it, but it very quickly in a couple of days bubbled up as like the answer we were hearing the most from people or other people in the post, uh, other producers that were working on it. And so we, we dove straight in on that. Our producers were like, let's just do it. Let's buy the things we need, lean into that. And so it took about a week of, of getting all that figured out, set up, uh, built mostly the most changes in my apartment with some additional hardware. I had my own system. We kind of combined some rental stuff and my stuff, uh, getting hardwired into the ethernet, you know, all those, and then testing like crazy and just really starting to understand it. So it was about a solid week of that, um, of, of just Jake and I figuring that out. And then, uh, this a week after that, once we were really up and running was kind of like our first week back in like, getting a feel of like, how's that going to work with the director and I am. Um, and long story short after that, I mean, it took a bit of an adjustment phase, but, um, but it, it works generally quite well. It's like a pretty solid tool for this kind of situation. I'm sure people have used it even before this. I hadn't. Um, so it's, uh, 
we actually feel pretty grateful despite the obvious circumstances we're all in that with only like really a down week or so we were able to pretty smoothly switch over and then keep going and we're still we're near the end of that director's cut now and still moving forward and um, because we haven't yet expanded to more departments it's like Jake and I sort of check in every morning we tried to do that anyways before we were remote and so we sort of connect we can look at things together talk about them go over them uh, same thing with our PA uh, you know, we can sort of pull people in as needed. We've had some preliminary VFX meetings over Evercast. So like it works really well in creating that virtual space, I have to admit. Um, so as much as I would always still prefer to be in a room with all these people, um, it's, it's done its job quite well so far. The thing that I'm curious most about moving forward, and I hope maybe some of the other panelists here can shed some light on is like, we're approaching our phase potentially, unless we, pause like getting our sound team going getting vfx going and like but in this new context and that is sort of the currently unanswered question of like beginning that next creative phase but without maybe not being able to do much of it or any of it in person that's what's going to be the real trick i think so that's where we're at and, and how things are going so far <laughs> well sure and thank you for the snapshot of where we are now and it sounds like once we kind of get to the other portions across across those bridges when we come to them right yeah terrific um clark moving on to you how is um a bigger facility model like technicolor postworks working right now well um we uh as you can imagine you know a typical color facilities have been doing remote grading for a long time. It goes back uh, 10 years, 15 years. Uh, T-Vips, Streambox are the sort of two typical um, uh, boxes people have used, um, generally with a send and receive box, which really doesn't work when you're dealing with people in remote locations. Um, Streambox has the capability of having one box on the send side and somebody else being able to receive. Um, uh, and there's a, a couple of competitive project products uh, like SohoNet has a, a thing called Flex, Clearview Flex, uh, which is what we ended up buying because they had them on, on the shelf and we could grab them faster than we could get a stream box. Uh, Technicolor had traditionally been a T-Vips kind of place which doesn't have this option. Um, so we were using that. We've used uh, uh, Evercast, which uh, Nick was just talking about, uh, as a, a you know, similar sort of approach. It, you, have, you have the setup on the send side and somebody else receives. Um, typically, all of the color stuff has been going to iPads, new iPads, iPad Pros which have pretty accurate color right out of the box. Um, and I guess we have one client, maybe two clients who've got actual monitor setups, you know, in their rooms. But uh, generally speaking, it's, it's, been, um, uh, it's been iPads. Now, you know, how long any of these things will pass muster as people 
as we go to some sort of hybrid world where there's some limited staffing possible in the building, et cetera, who knows. But at the moment, that's working. Um, so, and, and lastly, we have Frame.io, which uh, I think Nick alluded to. It, it's a kind of more like a, a Vimeo sort of thing that's secure, which allows you to upload a, a, a streaming video and the, the client to watch it as a stream, you know, so and with sort of sophisticated note tape taking possibilities, you know, uh, uh, ability to, you know, be able to send, link the file with notes. Um, it's, it's, again, it's okay for certain kinds of jobs. It doesn't, it doesn't replace live interaction though. Um, um, but, you know, lots of people are satisfied with that. Um, uh, we have, we have a, a lot of editing rooms, you know, and a, and a lot of equipment. And we, we discovered a way to, with VPN connections, to hook up people, um, use, you know, uh, in, in an editing environment, just using the machines they were already renting from us. And, and, but they now moved out someplace else and all they had were, you know, interface, keyboard, Mac, uh, keyboard mice kind of things. Um, and, and as long as they were on the right kind of HP PC, you can do this. It, it doesn't work with Mac Avids at all. Mac Avids, you've got to do something more like what Nick was discussing. Uh, they're really in that. Or, or, you know, and, and they also require that somebody somebody out in the world has the, has the data on his own avid in his apartment, you know, or his house. Um, in in the, uh, the system we're using with the, with the HP computers, you don't have to have any data outside the building. You're just, you're accessing the same nexus that you would have if you were in the building. That one brand of computer, HP? That seems to be the one that likes this particular software. I, I didn't, you know, I, I don't have the damn note that I took about what it's called um, uh, in front of me. I'm, it may pop up as, as we, we keep talking, but sure. um, my little cheat sheet that I give to clients doesn't have the damn software labeled, but it's, it's very effective. It, there's very low latency. It, it's working beautifully. We have, you know, I, I guess, I don't know, 30 or 40 clients doing it right now. Um, uh, but but you know you you have to be on that particular type of machine if you're if you're uh, you know you're you're on a Mac based Avid it's it doesn't work. I see Katie Henson just posted in the chat. HP owns the software. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. And I, I honestly can't remember the name of the damn stuff. I can find out though. Somebody ping me and I'll I'll get it to you. Sure, yeah. Well, we'd like to keep this conversation going in the events channel on um, the PNYA Slack. So it's, it's hashtag events um, on, on our Slack. So if, if everyone can keep sharing this info as the days and weeks go on, articles, et cetera, tips, that would, that would be great. Um, so Clark, how many of these, how many of these adaptations, let's call them, do you think could remain permanent going forward? Uh, you know, we have clients who are already talking about not renting as many machines when they come back who want to stay remote. I think that's that's kind of going to be something that we'll do a lot more of. Um, 
remote grading, you know, I don't know, clients receiving the grade on an iPad. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot of that. Um, you know, the iPad, the new ones are good enough so that they can receive HDR content and Rec. 709 content. So you can actually go through the entire normal home video deliverables strategy with that and get away with it. Uh, mind you, you know, uh, theatrical grading and theatrical mixing and all those sorts of things are are uh, going to be postponed anyway because nobody's releasing any pictures for quite a while. But that's something that an iPad out of the box. Yes. <laughs> Astonishing. That can give a comparable view to a thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar monitor. You know, we had just a big meeting this morning with Netflix, and that's their preferred method. You know, just about everybody's sort of adopted that. It, because you don't have to send an engineer out to somebody's house to calibrate, to, to you know, install a calibrated monitor. No. No. Well, fantastic. Thank you. And again, if people could um, continue posting in the chat and any questions for Clark or Nick, and, and we will address those at the end. Um, Andrew, I know that uh, you had already been working on a remote solution for the molecule for a year now, you, you had mentioned the other day. Um, can you describe that solution and, and why was that? What, what did you know that, that none of the rest of us did? Well, it wasn't me, it was my team that <laughs> was looking into it. So just to clarify that, um, you know, I, I think like with visual effects, we were already dealing with remote components in, in the means of rendering. We were already doing a pipeline to Amazon Web Services if we had to do super heavy CG rendering. Anyways, and really what, what became um, attractive for us for, for remote is that the, the artist pool in, in New York had really started to dry up with the amount of work that was happening. And it was just getting hard to even find artists to work on things. And, and we felt like if we had remote capabilities that we would be able to find artists uh, in other parts of New York, not necessarily New York City, um, that, that we could pull from in a way. And, and we'd seen other companies like um, Chicken Bone and, and companies like that who were going a full remote platform. And it just felt like the way the industry was going to go over time. And now this is kind of forced that to happen a little sooner than, than later. Um, but through that process, um, you know, we had talked to a couple other third party vendors who had specific remote platforms for visual effects. And um, but also at the same time internally our technology team was um developing their own in a way and when we dug into it you know what they had built wasn't really that different from what um the other companies were trying to provide to us anyway and um and it's really just a simplistic connection to aws in in a sophisticated way <laughs> that um allows people to without care DC boxes, but just with the software to use their computers from home to log into a instance on Amazon that um, that that then that instance is only screen sharing to them. And it it's that computer on Amazon is blocked off from all internet except a direct connection back to our office in a way. So it it's 
it, it meets the security protocols and, and all the, the TPM protocols in that way, which other than the fact that, you know, someone now has an image in their house that you can't con necessarily control that, but that's the situation everyone is in right now. And I think that's why we initially didn't lean into it super hard is because we were afraid of those, that last security hurdle. But, you know, for the time being, all the studios seem to not care about that as much. And, um, you know, for us, it, it um, you know, in like February, we, we saw kind of what was, was coming and we started to, you know, this internal system, which we had only up to that point, maybe like a couple of days a week, we're testing it on one person. We started to just throw more people at it every week. And then, then it became like every day we sent five more people home and then five more people home just because we never knew if it would work at scale. Um, and fortunately it's, it's been working out great. Some people, I think, you know, a lot of it depends on people's ISP at home and, and what service they have. But for the most part, it, everyone likes it. They say it's working just like they're at the office. Some people say it works better than, than when they're at the office. And then there might be a handful of people who just, have really slow internet that it, it's kind of a pain for them. Um, so now it's now it's just been going in and and every day, you know, our, our technology team has a is collaborating all day long and has a meeting every morning to just figure out like what are the bugs we can go through and fix and what are how can we enhance the experience and um, and also bring the cost down on it in a way too. Like what you know can we switch around the machines that we're using on AWS to, to help us save on the cost. And now we have this, this massive expense that we didn't have before in a way. And we still have our, our rent in Manhattan at the same time. Um, so fortunately on the technology side, it's been, you know, because our team has been working on this for a while, it wasn't that hard. I mean, I say it wasn't hard, but I'm sure like they would beg to differ, but we were, we were fairly easily able to transition over when, when that time came. Um, I think the hardest part for me and for our team is just the the basic human communication level of things. And, you know, like when, you know, on the client side, it's not, I feel like we've always been slightly isolated from the client to begin with. Like everything that we do is usually email, phone, the clients rarely come to the office. Um, and, you know, other than if we're on set or the occasional spotting session, um, we never really had a lot of in-person interactions with the client anyways and um but just like how we interact with each other and just for me simply like like when i walk into the office i can kind of like understand the mood of the office and how's that how is everybody how's the energy and, and trying to tap into that now i've you know had to find different ways to to pay attention to that just how is everybody's morale is, is everyone working together and and down to the individual basis if i haven't you know, we, we have daily phone calls. Um, we used to have them in the morning, but now we have them at around noon. So our LA team can, and keep in mind, this is about 50 people we have working remotely on this now. And uh, so we'll have that daily call. And then what we've, we'll do a Zoom call on Friday, just so that we at least get that everyone sees everyone. And we basically just make a bunch of jokes and actually for a half an hour. Um, and then every every single like department or team of people have the, their uh, 
their own ways to hang out with each other all day long. And then on a company level, we're just using Slack to, to you know, we have our Slack groups and, um, and depend, you know, some of them are open groups, some of them are, are private groups, depending on, on what they are. And, um, and yeah, so like for me, that's been the, the adjustment on, on just, you know, I feel like we're finally to a place where like, you know, we, I, we can, on the team side of things and how we collaborate with each other is really starting to uh, to come through. And, and it feels like like uh, we're as productive, if not even more so sometimes than, than when we're at the office. I don't know. Rebecca's one of my clients right now, so she can she can give a, a client perspective of whether it's been rougher for. I'm actually interested to know. <laughs> and and what better forum for her to tell you than in front of a hundred? No, I, I honestly want to know, Rebecca. Has has do you feel like you're getting the same, or has it been slower to to get stuff? How's the communication been for you? Well, the communication has been amazing. I think that's one of the biggest things that we've had to do is, like you said, keep uh, on top of all the departments and make sure everyone's talking to each other and make sure everyone's um, really just communicating. And um, with the VFX, it's, it's been a challenge for us because of the internet. Um, just the fact that it has to come to us and then the assistant editors have to cut it in and they have to make a quick time to send to Kristen and myself to approve. And it's not the same having it on a laptop versus seeing it in a stage or in a, a bigger monitor. Um, so right. that's been the challenge for us. But as far as the speed, I mean, you guys have been amazing. And I'm not just saying that because everyone's here, but um, just making sure that we get everything as close to the deadlines as we can. And it, that's been pretty great. So has that, I'm interested to know, um, having to review it on your laptop and not in stage, does that create this extra layer of just, anxiety of like oh my god i hope i didn't like miss something on there that i probably yeah. would have caught if i was on stage absolutely so the only way that right. we've been trying to make sure that we at least have uh, a common idea is that we all watch it um kristen a co-producer co has been amazing our coordinator even we've had our pa come in and just make sure that in each of our systems monitors laptops we all watch it down um, and then the assistant editors and the editors. So we all talk about it and usually we come to a consensus and if not, then we talk about what's different in each monitor and we try to figure that out from there. But yeah, we're definitely afraid of missing something or not having I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine when you have like this before and now it's like down it's to this view it on. Absolutely yeah. not the same. But right. we try. Um, <laughs> And then as far as hardware, we, for the most part, everyone's just using their home computers because like they didn't need Teradici boxes. They didn't need any of that. Um, they, they did like pillage the office for monitors. So that's like the artists have two monitors to set up a home. They have decent monitors to look at. Um, and other than that, there's just like a few quirks with Teradici that like we've found with the Wacom tablet um we haven't quite figured out how to get like the if there's any pressure sensitivity for, for the wacom tablet like that hasn't translated over but luckily most of our like in a matte painter might use that more but like on the compositing side and nuke and stuff they don't and on my ncg they don't use that as much awesome um, that that's fantastic andrew huh. thank you for that i have some um follow-up questions but i'll i'll save those for the end so we can make sure we get to some of our other panelists here, um, but that was terrific. 
Let's, um, let's shift gears to sound now. Um, Dan Fink, ADR and voice casting. Um, the adaptations that you told me about the other day for ADR and, and looping, I, I, I thought were fascinating. Can, can you speak a, little, speak a little bit about those? Of course, of course. Um, just, uh, I'll start with, if anybody doesn't know what uh, Loop Group is, uh, ADR Group is basically the human equivalent of Foley. So once something's locked, we go and take a look, we do all the spotting, and then we go, uh, there's this many people, and it's, you know, the, we have this coverage of races and ethnicities or languages or whatever, and we get all of those people together, and we put them in a room, and for eight hours or six hours, we are all over each other, and, <laughs> and it is about as opposite a, you know, an industry as would be wished for at this point. And I have the, the opposite story to Andrew and Clark and Nick in that we never did anything remotely. Um, everything is always in person, on the ground, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, like everybody's all together. Um, so that's where we're starting. And, you know, that's where we're starting, you know, where, you know, we were when the bottom dropped out. And uh, this whole panel in part was kicked off we were having a meeting and somebody talked about not having a lot to do and my immediate response was I've never been busier um, not necessarily making a paycheck but finding workarounds to create a the same the same sounds of six eight ten twelve people in one room together and how do we make that happen when nobody's in the same room? We don't have the same source material. We're not looking at anything, in, you know, on a common platform. So, you know, there's latency issues and there's all these things. Um, and it literally was back to the drawing board. And there was a moment when it all first started that I thought we're going into hyperspace here and the industry is going to keep moving forward and they're just going to start using sound effects. And we're going to look back on this moment and go, that's when they lost us. Um, and interestingly, the opposite thing has happened. Everybody has started reaching out and saying, how do we work this out? How do we make this happen? How do we get you guys together episode to episode or for a feature dealing with that? And how do we get what we need so that from an artistic point of view, we have, yeah, and an audio point of view, we have everything you guys can normally bring to a soundscape. That became the big, huge conundrum. Um, uh, as Clark said, uh, at the moment, what's working, which literally is today, the most fascinating thing about where we are right now is there's all this crowdsourcing happening here in LA um, and then kind of all over the place on technologies to make this work. And every three days, these, the, the playing field changes. And every project is different, has different needs, and wants different things and different processes. And every project has different security concerns. And so what's ended up happening is my partner, Bruce Wine and I, we have, we're like going 16 hours a day, kind of trying to cobble together, uh, first to get actors up to speed with home systems. So everybody can record from home. And we had a great, great, great meeting with uh, on a project that we're working on along with Mike. Uh, we had a meeting with Mike Fowler, who's invaluable. Um, 
and we decided on a specific mic that would be the best for everybody to use that's easy for home use and is going to give us a great sound so that that way the whole group has a consistent mic at least happening so that was one first big uh, big thing. Unfortunately, everybody in the country was creating home systems, so a lot of that equipment also was on back order. Um, but uh, everything went like this, and uh, we had all these tributary streams of things that we had to then pull back into one. And one by one, project by project, day by day, trial and error, we have been cobbling together working methods to get people the material, have them record at home. Sometimes we're on the phone together. Um, sometimes we just trust the people to do what they need to, but stuff that can just be done wild. So they don't, it doesn't need to be done to picture. Um, uh, then that's a great avenue. Uh, but a lot of times we do need to hear each other because that's the, the alchemy of having a group in a room. And we've found a ton of different workarounds from gigantic conference calls to Zoom calls are one thing. Problem with that is that there's a latency issue that's been dependent on broadband. Um, we are what speed everybody has, kind of like what Andrew was talking about a little bit before, except we all need to be in sync. Um, so how do you solve that? Um, the heroes of this whole thing are the editors because all this is falling on the sound editors. Um, we do all the prep, we get everything out, farmed out to the actors, but those are all, maybe it's encrypted QuickTime clips that we have to send or links that have no sound um, uh, or what have you. And jigsaw piece by jigsaw piece, we're slowly finding a way to move this thing forward while uh, there's other, I'll just say kind of macro platforms that, are, that people are working on when I see a void. Um, and uh, there's talk about how would I do this? How do I, how would I do that? And maybe in the next two months, there's gonna be something like that. Um, but right now we're kind of working with actors in their homes and it takes an enormous amount of prep and it takes an enormous amount of post, uh, you know, in that respect for everybody, for us to listen to it, get it arranged, get the cues named, all that stuff that uh, normally you have a team of people do, every actor now has to do by themselves and some are not tech savvy at all, but are great actors. So we need that performance. Um, so there's, it's, yeah, so there's that, or it's a sound alike. So somebody is voice matching an actor or a radio announcement from, you know, 1943 or something like that. Um, there's all that happening. And sometimes I feel like the lead character in 1917 and we're just running back and forth as fast as we can trying to get from pillar to post. Um, now, how is this going forward? I, I don't think, like I said, I'll, you're never going to beat the alchemy of people in a room together working in a, you know, in, a, in a common moment. But one of the interesting things that this has allowed us to do is prior to this, our work was always regional. You had to be boots on the ground, here in the studio, all of us together at the same time. Um, now, if we, you know, we're finding these ways to get connected and be connected to create these things, so I could just as easily have somebody in the UK or somebody in LA as part of our team, as long as, you know, as long as everybody's got the right technology. So that's a really interesting thing that's breaking open in that respect. I don't know how that continues once we're able to be back in a room together, but considering that there are <laughs> there are cues where we would literally be 
14 people shoulder to shoulder, um, you know, for a half an hour yelling and screaming and, and aerial, you know, air, uh, aerosolizing, that's the word they're using, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, an entire studio fall. Um, it's going to be fascinating when we start to come back to it, how we do that. Um, that's going to be baby steps too. Um, but that, you know, so we went from, you know, everything working perfectly into a complete void into then being, you know, you're busy with emails, zoom calls, phone calls, conference, like constantly, um, getting everybody set up. And now we're kind of in that weird phase where, and I think Greg's going to be talking and Ryan's going to be talking right after me. We're all working together to get the product done. And how do you plug something like that into, uh, into the missing audio piece and make it sound like we were there and we were together and the production and us, interestingly, it used to just be, how do you make the loop group sound like they were in the same room and, you know, uh, as the, as the production. Now it's, how do you make the loop group, sound like they were all together and then plug that into the production um well and with that i think thank you dan with, with that i think that's a good segue into talking to greg and ryan um they've been doing sound editorial on billions and and working with dan and billions has been in production for however many seasons now so greg and ryan could you could you speak to the topics that dan brought up and hasn't has it been hard kind of changing the direction of that boat on a dime uh, for sure i mean fortunately for us billions is, is is now season five so we have a pretty good working knowledge of our showrunners what they want and what what they're looking for in their mix and their sound edit so we had also shot uh, I think they'd completed shooting seven of the 12 episodes for the season. So we had plenty of stuff to work on. Um, and then uh, we, we had done for, in Dan's case, we had done loop group through, uh, through five. So we actually had some stuff to look at. And so then I just kind of went in a detail oriented way, just like said, okay, these, this person on the screen and took a little screen grab of, of the actor. Um, on screen and then said this guy should be saying this thing and then labeled it and then sent a, sent a big list to Dan actually it wasn't that big but it, uh, <laughs> a reasonable size list to Dan um, and just said can you find people that can you can you ask the actors to cover these specific lines of which they did um, and then it was just a matter of it all came in and um, the editing portion is a little bit more challenging because you need to make it sound like these people are talking to each other but at least they were on topic when they were recording so you know it, it's sort of we sort of do that live anyways you know it's two actors will be doing a bit together and then you know i'll ask them to say one more thing at the end that just sort of ties the conversation together so it's 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 more of the same um fortunately for sound editors you know we've been uh, i think required to have a home system um probably for the last you know 10 years so I don't know too many sound editors that don't um, are unable to work out of home. So we're used to being on our own, pretty socially isolated anyways. So uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a major shift for us. Um, the more challenging part though was uh, kind of doing the whole process from turnover to delivery, which, uh, you know, like there'd be times that there's different shows that I'd work from home and it was fine, but there's always, 
one point when you go in for a mix or you go in for group or ADR um, where you kind of, you do need to be in the same room altogether, which was a bit of a challenge. Um, and that's where Ryan and I have been working together, just trying to figure out a, a good balance to, to be able to like tie all the, tie all the things together and make it sound like we we're mixing together. Um, and again, season five of Billions, we kind of have a good idea of what the mix should sound like for the showrunners before playing it back for them. And fortunately for us, they're, they don't like being in the room with us for very long anyways. So um, our notes are generally pretty limited. Um, and uh, so Ryan and I can kind of just put it together. We, we don't go through the process of using any sort of streaming platform for them because they're they can watch it, they can write down, you know, 10, 15 notes, send it back, and then we can do them, and they trust us to do them. So um, <clears throat> that's pretty much what, what Ryan and I have been doing. But um, it, in terms of mixing, um, it's, uh, I feel like Ryan, and, and you can feel free to jump in at any point, but, you know, we, we sort of do our pre-mix on our own. We've done our pre-mix on our own. Um, anyways, I mix the effects, Ryan mix the dialogues and the dialogue and music. Um, we kind of get a, a version of which we're, you know, willing to share with one another. We print a stem, uh, we send it using Media Shuttle, uh, and then bring it into our home systems and then just mix off of each other's stems. And then at a certain point, um, Ryan will put it all together into uh, a mix, like a print master that can be sent around for other people to watch, um, at which point we've kind of baked in like, okay, make the print master, send it to me, send it to the music editor, let us all watch it down. We'll give notes, we'll do, you know, like the process of mixing is, is a bit more challenging when it's not just three people sitting in a room making calls on the go, but you know, we can all watch it, give our notes, send, send our notes to Ryan. Poor Ryan will then spend the evening getting all our notes addressed uh, to send out a file. It's, it's a slower process. It's yeah. not as efficient. Um, and not ideal, but it's where we are. So I think, I think the big thing was first trying to just figure out how long, you know, it was like, is this going to be a week? Is this going to be two weeks? Or, um, and then once it became apparent that we weren't going to get back in the room, that we just had to roll with the non-ideal situation. We, you know, we're, I think we're both sort of mixing on headphones. Um, I, I know I'm mixing on headphones. Um, but I I usually do premixes on headphones anyways, just because you can kind of hear things on a granular level that I kind of like knowing what's really in the track before I put it up on speakers. Um, and then it also gives you like the knowledge of when you do listen to it on speakers, okay, what, what can go up and down and what do you really want it to sound like? So I am sort of missing hearing it on a stage um, for sure, but we, we were sort of baking it into our, you know, into the, the the flow of the air dates that like we were going to reserve you know up until i don't i think it was june 1st where if, if we could get back into the room to make tweaks on the episodes that we're mixing from home we would but as we all know that may or may not happen and we can't rely on that but um, it, it was sort of a, a a pipe dream that we would be able to revisit the mixes later on the stage but um you know, finding ways to mix, you know, like a, a two mixer team 
has been a little bit challenging, but, you know, I found that like, you know, sending a STEM to Ryan and unfortunately, you know, I have spectrum internet, so the upload speeds are just terrible. So it's rather than spending, you know, an hour or more to upload a STEM to him each time, I can send him my first STEM and then I can make punches um, into the into the track where it's like, okay, I'm just fixing this one thing rather than resending a whole, you know, five one STEM and stereo STEM, I'll just make little patches, um, keep them on tracks and the tracks and the patches to Ryan, which is just much quicker. And then he knows exactly where I punched in and he can address that in the print master moving forward. So there's ways of, you know, working around internet lag and, and whatnot, but, um, but it's just, yeah. yeah. You gotta, you gotta send it out. Wait, there's a lot of, there's a lot of waiting um, for approval and people to listen to stuff and, um, so it's, you know, while I'm waiting for somebody to listen, I'm, I'm on two shows right now. So while I'm waiting for one show, you know, responses, I, I can work on the other one. And, um, just, yeah, it, it's been interesting. What, what sort of software are you using to do the ADR, the remote ADR? Well, that would be a good question for Dan. Um, I think there's a few different, you know, free we were actually talking about this before we, you know, when he originally was presenting the idea of this panel, <clears throat> we were kind of going over what technical things that he did. And it was sort of a thing that we were, we were talking about, like, if, if only there was a program, you know, like there's no one, you know, de facto program that we can use. And, you know, like, I think for the most part, Dan's just using um, just some sort of audio wave recorder right into a laptop with the mic plugged in, but wouldn't it be great if that same simple to use program could also import video and not freak out anybody who is not tech savvy because the last thing you want to do is like burden a creative genius like Dan with something technical. It's like, that's, that's not their job. You know, like that's why there's engineers and there's editors to, you know, we want to make it as simple as possible so they can just do the thing that they're supposed to do which is give a good performance. So it's like trying to find a program that can do that, that's simple and uh, and potentially could you could import a video and just do it live to it, I think would, would be- Have you tried this Todd AO thing that, that, that's out? That's, uh, yeah. But that's, Greg... I, I've never used it specifically, but I mean, that you can make cues in a quick time as far as- Yeah, I'm, and put streamers on and yeah. all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff you're you're still at the mercy uh, of what somebody has recording wise in their home well, so I, but i thought that system let them record on their cell phone they can but you're still yeah, at the mercy does. of the quality of that yeah, yeah so yeah. if you have a micro you know like uh you know we, what we're we had everybody upgrade to at least audio technica um there's a, there's a range of them audio technicas the good road mics um uh things that aren't podcasting mics um, because it'd be just because of the range, they, they were, uh, they weren't giving us the resonance that people were looking for. Uh -huh. Um, and they're just recording into twisted wave, wave pad, audacity, believe it or not, is, is a really strong free app. Um, GarageBand has been problematic for us. That doesn't mean it's problematic, but it's been problematic in just getting things transferred and turned into, um, high density wave files. But, uh, the Tadeo app is a great app. 
uh, uh, for principal stuff. Yeah. We haven't, there's no way to sync it up across the board for a group to use. Uh, yeah. So we couldn't have six people. We'd all have to go one, two, three, click. Right. So, but we've mostly been having people record into, you know, into uh, their computers or their iPads in one of those formats. And then we get it and go through everything and edit it and convert it up to 2448. Then uh, we send those WAV files to Greg or, or Ryan or whoever. I see. Okay. But, and nobody's using Evercast or something like that. Not yet. Is it? And I don't know a lot about Evercast. A producer asked me about it. Um, I, I don't know that it's been used for sound. It just occurred to me. I've, it's I've done some, of, some tests with Evercast. Um, I'm also on another show, Queen's Gambit, that I was working with Eric Hershon. And he was more setting up for a way to review with a, a showrunner that would be far more, um, have a lot yeah. more notes than. It's a review tool that's got a nice note feature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for I, I thought about it for mixing billions, but there's a, a part of it that's like you are basically listening to an MP3 um, streamed over the internet. So it's just like, yeah. you know, not necessarily making uh, on a technical level for sound. It didn't seem worthwhile to try to do a, a, like a mix that way. But mm -hmm. um, I, I could see something like that where if you were, if you had one actor uh, and you wanted to sort of engineer the session and uh -huh. you're like live reviews and stuff like that, that right. That would be a good program well, it, to use. I, again, as I understand it, and I, you know, I'm just speaking from imperfect, uh, you know, anecdotal evidence. You can do multiple streams to different people, and the latency problem, I don't believe, is is that significant. Hmm, yeah. Wow. Can you record into Evercast? That that I don't know. I think you'd probably have to just make a separate recording, but but. Uh, um, but at least you could, you know, in, in a situation like Dan's in where he's trying to go after people in different locations, it might work. I, again, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just uh, uh, spitballing really. I mean, there's also Source Connect and Source Live and options, but it just, it, like Greg was saying, it involves people, you know, knowing Pro Tools and, right, and, right. and mic setups and signal flows and stuff that just yeah, no, creative, me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thank you so much for this. This was that this is super, super informative. And it's amazing how sound can often be innovated first and, and do things first. And then we see picture follow. Well, it's, mm. it's, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't require the same bandwidth. Yeah. 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 We are getting to the top of the hour now and I've got two more panelists I'd love to get to. Um, I understand if people have to jump off at five, um, none of us will feel bad. Yet at the same time, please keep bringing your questions into the chat um, and we'll get into those. And with that, I'd like to move on to Anna Cipolla, freelance colorist. And Anna, I know you've been kind of working from home for a while now, you, you have your own home set up. Have you noticed much of a difference now? Well, my situation has always been 50% working at facilities all over town and 50% working from home. Um, I have my own setup that I love, but I prefer facilities for several reasons. They're definitely 
uh, there's IT support, bigger screen, client services, the social aspect for me, it's unbelievable. Um, but however, I've been working for home, from home for years now and uh, with several clients and my typical way is the simple having drives shipped to me or brought to me with a little bit of FTP or Dropbox. Uh, so some kind of like hybrid um, workflow with um, uh, Frame.io, of course, integration because with Resolve works really wonderfully. Um, so that's been the go-to. So the same challenges, let's say, we had before with like uh, uh, where your client is reviewing the work versus like reviewing together are pretty much the same. Um, I've been signing lots of NDAs throughout my career. Uh, and now, um, definitely, uh, my main um, focus is on what Clark was saying before, like on uh, checking Streambox uh, options, like how to eventually provide uh, live grading uh, reviews, because that's, that's a big thing. If this is going to be going for years, uh, how am I going to stay competitive? So I'm definitely like doing a lot of research. But for the pre-existing clients, the type of clients that I have right now, um, I think we're going to keep going the same way we always did, you know? Sorry, doing, doing with what? Well, we're, we're just going to keep working with drives and Dropbox and ah. Regular, yeah. Unless security becomes a real issue, which it is. Um, uh, they're all relaxing it now. Uh, it, it's they'll. I'm sure they'll drop the hammer on us sooner or later. Right. Yes. So Maybe. yeah. Uh, if if let's say if a few months back my concern was how do I improve my client services? How do I make my own studio more? Now that's definitely out of the plate. Now I'm thinking how do I have to gear up and I'm learning so much about uh, cloud solutions and yeah. uh, all that. Yeah, definitely. So as a freelance colorist who already kind of had a setup at home, you were kind of in, in a good position to, to handle this new paradigm, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I felt very, very fortunate and safe from, from the beginning. Uh, it's it's funny how I had a couple of sessions in early March where uh, I had these clients renting my equipment and I was already very concerned about COVID because I'm Italian and of course I've been reading the, the news and following with my family so I'm like this is gonna happen here so I was like are you guys sure you want to rent you know I can work from home I was already and they were like no no uh, we want to rent come they rented all my stuff and, um, and then in a week everything changed, so. And so it also must be of particular interest to you that your clients can now buy the latest iPad. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, the iPad has been a game changer. I, I wanna say it's been already a few years now since they come up with the Retina display. It's uh, definitely, definitely accurate color wise but you still have to you have to always tell your clients like don't watch it outside just you have to feel like make sure that they're going to be in a certain like conditions and of course i mean the biggest challenge for us will always be like we're never going to be in the same room and so even if i have a zoom call with my client and 
I'm going to look at them and I'll always lose that nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. So important. Yeah, and that's a theme that we haven't even touched on as much as I would have liked to in this short hour that we've been together is, sure, we have all these awesome remote technologies and stuff, but they do remove the, the, the vibe you get from working in the same room together, whether it's sound or picture editorial or color or, or, or looking at an invoice together. I mean, you name it. So what what are the predominantly the kinds of projects that you're working on um that people are kind of okay with you coloring remotely and they review it remotely and 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 it just kind of gets done that way are, are you mostly on um, um indie films or unscripted tv or documentaries short documentaries Documentary series, that's for sure. Okay. And that's that's projects that are mainly based for the web, even though I've been I've been uh, working remotely also on broadcast TV. Okay. And as someone who's already been doing this before the pandemic, do you see your model kind of becoming more and more predominant as time goes on? I think so. I think so. Unless, uh, I mean, let's be realistic. I don't think if until we have a vaccine, uh, who's going to go back uh, in a facility? I don't know. I might be wrong, but I think that's the main point. Um, it might become predominant, especially for posts. We might even end up having more work, uh, especially VFX, uh, because uh, the big the big uh, bottleneck of production being stopped now, if they're gonna start shooting again with new guidelines and there's gonna be, as I was reading, less makeup use because of social distancing on set and uh, issues with they have with the crowd scenes. I mean, you can imagine like how much beauty work it's gonna be much more for color and much more uh vfx yeah. cgi yeah that's amazing it's amazing to think about all those changes um terrific um here we are over the hour but i still have um another panelist i'd like to get to rebecca hernandez post supervisor um rebecca you're working on billions and the 40 year old version right now um how you know how, what do those workflows look like and how is how is your typical day changed now uh so my transition hasn't really been as difficult or challenging just because it's not quite as tech heavy uh it's a lot of our work is with phone calls and um emails and just trying to talk to each other uh but i got really lucky working with this team because up to date it's a very well-oiled machine they've been working together for this is my first season working with them, but they've been together for five seasons. Mm -hmm. So there isn't a lot of hand-holding. Everybody knows what they need from each department. Um, we just make to, have to make sure that editorial gets everything to all the different departments for VFX, for sounds, for ADR. Um, and we already touched up a, a lot on what Greg and Ryan have been doing and VFX. Um, but the biggest challenge I think for me with my, my internet is not very good. Um, 
but we have to, everything takes so much longer, everything to get it approved or to make it happen. Whereas before we would just go into an ADR session and have all the actors come and record their stuff. Now we have to send uh, instructions so that they can record on their phone and send them a QuickTime reference and send them a cue sheet from the sound department. And then that all has to get to Ryan, uh, to Greg and Ryan. And if it's not right, it has to go back to the actors so that they can record again. And so it's a lot more back and forth. Um, the same thing would be with VFX, not so much the VFX that are coming in, but spotting the VFX. So usually we have a spotting session that takes about two hours. And we sit down, it's about five of us. It's Kristen, our co-producer, who's been amazing, our coordinator, our assistant editor, and the editor of each episode. We sit down and we watch this uh, episode down and we spot any crew in the background or any uh, booms that needs to be removed. And the whole process takes about two hours. But with the remote session, um, we had to have a quick time delivered to each individual person. We each watched it, we each took our notes down and then we merged all of our notes to create one document of VFX. That took a day and a half, usually <laughs> takes two hours. So everything took a lot longer to do. Um, and my internet not being good, my download I think took two hours, whereas if I would have just gone into the session, it would have played immediately. So those are the challenges that I'm coming up with. Um, so there's really not a workaround except to just be patient and just try to wait for everyone to get to their process so that we can get to it and approve it and then send our notes or the same thing with uh, QC for marketing or the, the deliverables and everything that's going on. Um, so, and for us, it's very essential because we are airing the first seven episodes. Uh, yeah, the first seven episodes starting on May 3rd. So we're on a deadline. Mm. So really, mm. we're just working through it and just making sure everyone communicates with everyone. Um, but also what, Ryan, uh, what Andrew was saying earlier, just making sure that everyone is, you know, keeping sane. We, we have a cocktail hour on Wednesdays where we just make sure that we Zoom together for an hour and there's no work talk. We just make sure that everyone is, you know, well and safe and just what is everyone doing aside from work. It's, it's good to take a step away from, from work sometimes. Um, and then 40-Year-Old Version has just come back. Um, it's, it's sold to Netflix. It was a Sundance film that sold to Netflix. And now it's just come back. And our biggest thing was just making sure we had three drives uh, that the editor, assistant editor, myself, and then Goldcrest had media. And everything had to get merged into one drive. And working remotely, it wasn't just like, here, take this drive and merge everything. It's like we had to send stuff to each other. We had to make sure that it was all the most up-to-date information. And then also the budgeting and making sure that we have multiple budgets and multiple uh, calendars because we don't really know what's happening. So we just have to create all these different crazy scenarios and hope for the best. So my transition hasn't been quite as technologically difficult, but the timing and the patience and making sure everyone's communicating, that's kind of been the biggest thing for me. That, thanks so much, Rebecca. And um, we're over time now, but I, I do see um, a lot of good chatter in the chat box here. I do, um, I do have a question about sound. Maybe we could... Um, Maybe we could just do this question, and if anyone has any more, type them in now. We'll try to get to them. Otherwise, continue the conversation again in the Slack channel. But um, this question is from 
Tzvi Sherman, hopefully I've said your name right, um, to the sound people, um, I wonder if mixes from headphones will anyway translate better than stages since folks at home don't have 5-1, let alone a sound bar. And, and I'm guessing that, that that assumption means people at home are watching on mobile devices with, with headphones in. It's sort of become the de facto yeah. Uh, earphones. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's, it's always a problem. I mean, it's, a, it's been a problem before this uh, of playback scenarios with sound. But I think what I've been doing is doing a mix on headphones and on speakers and, uh, and uh, checking it on speakers and then checking it on a sound bar. Um, it's a law of averages. It's, you know, uh, some places it's going to sound better, some places it's going to sound worse. But uh, as far as headphones go, yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're more like a microscope um, for sound than anything. Uh, but that being said, like there's a consistency with mixing on a stage that you know is calibrated and right. Um, and that's the best you can hope for. Uh, Netflix is now expecting the client side to have the same select a, a, you know, earphones from a certain list and the, the, the vendor to be on the same, you know, be using the same phones. So it's becoming kind of a de facto standard, right or wrong. Yeah. <laughs> for the ultimate mix to be for, for headphones. It's, it's all stereo. I mean, nobody's dealing yeah. with 5.1 yet or Atmos or anything like that. No one's yeah, buying Atmos. Part of it is just knowing how it all translates. You know, if, if you have a pair of headphones that you are used to using, you know what it's going to sound like once you throw them up on speakers. And if you've been mixing in that room long enough, you know what that room sounds like, you know how it's gonna to translate to a sound bar. Um, and then like what Ryan said, it's just about finding that balance between the, you know, whatever apparatus you're listening to, to it with and getting it as close as you can get it to it. Terrific, thank you. Um, I have another one here. Is anyone having issues with clients pushing to get back into the studio and personally supervise or even asking if they can go to people's homes are, are we seeing a pushback to to getting these things back in person not for us not yet no I, i've expected it but it's actually not reared its ugly head yet good i think they're all more afraid than we are <laughs> Um, I see from Shira Arad, do films, do film productions talk about what happens after the films are done, considering the theaters are being shut down and the fact that festivals are canceled, the situation for filmmaking is probably different than TV in that respect. So this is more kind of a distribution question, but, um, I just had a film that was supposed to go to South by um, and didn't, and then Neon picked it up and they're going to release it soon, I think. Um, but the Neon just announced they're doing some kind of online where you can so actually support small businesses by going to the business's website and watching the movie there and they get a percentage back. Um, 
Yeah, from but, a from a technical standpoint, though, it's really all still basically home video. Um, no one, you know, the theatrical grade done off a big screen, the theatrical mix done in a big room, all those things are sort of purpose aimed at theaters, and nobody's contemplating opening a movie in a theater for at least the rest of the year. So that'll be an interesting change to the post industry. What what do we all do with those those big old theaters, right? Well, eventually, who knows? But I mean, they're they're opening up in Georgia today or tomorrow. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Great. Well, we've gone a little bit over time here, but. Um, I think that's a good thing. I, I really appreciate it. I'd like to thank all the panelists. 